Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning again, everybody. Great to be gathered with you as we open the scriptures. A couple of things in addition to what Mark has shared before we open to Galatians chapter 4. You can begin turning there if you'd like. Um, But I would like to just just recognize um, the Stout family and the Blanchard family. As as many of you know, this past week, um, one of our longtime members and and worshipers here at First, Eloise Stout, um, went home to be with the Lord last Sunday. Um, And last Sunday night, um, another one of our dear, dear people here, Sandy Blanchard, had what they thought at the time was a, a stroke, ended up being an aneurysm, and she ended up undergoing surgery, and, and she did not make it. She passed away last Wednesday night, and so many of you know that already, uh, but I just want to say thank you uh, for continuing to pray for them and for their families. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing to walk into a hospital room like I did last week and to see the peace of God on a family's face. It's just an amazing thing, and it's something that can only come from God. And, and I, know, I know Russ and the rest of his extended family, they just, they are so grateful for how you have loved them well and praying for them and giving meals and, and encouragement, and the same with the Stout family. So, so thank you for being the body of Christ. Um, that's one of the reasons we gather. It's one of the reasons we're a family uh, brought together by the Holy Spirit. Um, I I also just wanted to share briefly, next week and the following week, um, next week, Mark, who's just up here, he's going to be speaking, and we're going to be recognizing graduates. And I just want to say in advance, graduates, we're so thankful for you, so thankful for the work that you have put into, whether it's high school or college or graduate school, and and how you um, go forward from here, we pray that you would serve Christ. And I I won't be here next week, and so I want to say congratulations to you. early. Um, Next week and the following Sunday, I would ask your prayers for me. Um, Next week and the following week, I'm going to be traveling with one of our missionaries uh, to uh, a region that he works with in sharing the gospel, and he he leads a group of of Jesus followers and a region of the world, and I'm going to be able to spend time with him and learn from him and pray with him and encourage the believers that we're going to go visit. And that sounds really cryptic, and that's just because I can't share it publicly over the airwaves. And so um, if you would like more information about specifics, where I'm going, whom I'm traveling with, and stuff like that, please come talk with me. It will always be cryptic from here just because of the security of the people whom we work with. Um, We have some mission partners um, who we have to be mindful of that. But I ask your prayers as we travel and as um, as we seek to advance God's kingdom in all the things that we put our hands and our hearts to over the next several days. I also ask that you pray for my family while I'm traveling. Uh, that'd be great. And we look forward to, to joining you. I look forward to being back with you on June 6th when we will wrap up Galatians and we will then begin into a summer series on the names of God. The names of God is where we'll be this summer. So, All that said, thank you for being an amazing church family. Thank you for loving the Lord and praying for one another. Um, 
you might be here for the first time, and I just want to say this. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you have questions about faith and you're still trying to figure this thing out, let me just say you are welcome here. You're welcome to ask your questions. You're welcome to engage in what does this mean for me? What does it truly mean to follow Jesus in my life and in my sphere? Uh, you may not agree with everything we talk about, and that's okay. But it is our prayer that you would give everything that we share and engage in with the scriptures and an honest listen, and that you would search out the Bible for yourself because we believe the Bible is God's word. It is God's truth to us. It is authoritative for our life. And they are actually words for life and words for living. And that's in part where Paul is going to head as we turn our hearts to Galatians. And so Galatians chapter 4 is where we are going to be. And um, Galatians 4, if, if you don't know where Galatians is, it's in the second half of the, if the, of the Bible. Uh, there's a contents or an index at the beginning of your Bible, if you have one, and you can find it by going there, finding the right number. I think mine is 1166, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I looked it up last night. I don't just happen to know that. Uh, that would be random, useless knowledge for me uh, and for anyone. 1166, I was right. Okay. And um, Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to pick it up today. So before, before we read today, let, let's pray together. Father and our King, there's, there is so much going on in this world. So much hurt and so much pain, so much loss. And yet, God, you are there in the midst of it all. And this morning, God, I, I pray for the Stout family. I pray that your peace would continue to be on them. I thank you for the life that Mrs. Stout lived. And I'm just thankful for their testimony as a family yesterday, or Friday at the funeral. God, I also pray for the Blanchard family. Pray for Russ and for... Um, for his kids and for his grandkids, God, that you would uphold them and strengthen them by your grace. Um, give them strength to walk these next days as they seek to get all the plans in order to celebrate Sandy's life and really just to celebrate your goodness in the midst of Sandy's life. What a good God you are that we know and we can trust and we can believe that this world is not it. You've placed us here, but God, this is not it. The end of our days here means that we are forever in your presence, where there is rejoicing and where there is joy. God, as we think of these two dear saints worshiping around the throne of heaven, God, what an amazing thing for us here on earth to look forward to. We thank you, God, for meeting us here today. We thank you for your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to set upon its truth so that we can faithfully walk it out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, for the reading of the scriptures? Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have been known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, seasons, and years. I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. 
I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me, but you know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a physical illness. You did not despise or reject me through physical condition, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What happened to the sense of being blessed you had? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so that you will be enthusiastic about them. Now, it is always good to be enthusiastic about good, and not just when I am with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Tell me, those of you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the impulse of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things are illustrations, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman who does not give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate are many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of a slave will never be co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Last verse, Galatians 5.1. Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So, there's a lot of stuff going on in this passage, and God willing, we will get to a lot of it. Um, We may not delve all the depths, but I want to give you the overlay of what's going on. I think maybe the best way to do that is just to say, what Paul is talking about here is he's contrasting two things, slavery and freedom, all right? Galatians 5.1, which is really a hinge verse that goes into what Mark is going to share next week, it matters to this verse as well, because he's, he begins contrasting in verse 8 of chapter 4 that you were once enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. God desires for his people to experience freedom. And the opposite of freedom is slavery. And conversely, the opposite of slavery is freedom. So what is he talking about? What, what Slavery to what? Freedom for what? Next week, we're going to kind of look at how how do we live as free people? What does it mean to have the Spirit be a part of that existence? Today, he's going to be addressing, addressing what prevents us from being free. And he says this in verse 9. Excuse me. Yeah, 9. He says, But now, since you know God, or rather you have been known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and bankrupt elemental 
forces, all right? The, the people to whom he is writing, they are enslaved to the elemental forces of the world. They're, they're enslaved to things in their past. And what, what has happened is these things have risen to a point where the things become God instead of God being God in their life. You'll, you'll, you might remember from the past several weeks, he's writing to a people whom he had once shared the gospel with, and they had received it with goodness and in, in, in joy. He even mentions that in our passage. But as he does that, he leaves, and Paul continues on his ministry, and then there are some people who come in, and they say, you really, in order to experience life in Jesus, you need to not only believe in Jesus— but you also need to take upon yourself all these aspects of the Jewish faith. You need to become circum circumcised Gentiles in order to have a saving relationship with the Lord. You have to engage in the festival um, processions. You have to engage in the sacrifices in the temple. You have to be a part of this Jewish system. And, and Paul essentially says that there's a system and it was in place and it was given to a people and it was given specifically for a time. One of the things that Pastor Tom looked at last week is that the law served to be a guardian for a time. Uh, someone who would walk beside a young person. Now, th this person w was a slave of the master, and he was caring for the person who was going to be the inheritor of the entire estate. But even though he was really not a son or anything like that. He was there to guard and to make sure that this person, uh, th this inheritor of the future estate, would get to where they needed to go safely, that they would learn the right things and stay on the right path. But what, what's happened with some people at this time is they've said, we need to um, be observant to the law of Moses, which Paul doesn't deny. Like, he's still engaged in the festivals. He's still engaged in eating and in practicing things consistent with his Jewish identity, but they said, you have to do this in order to have a relationship with God. And that's not what God said. <laughs> uh, if we go back and we look at the story of the gospel going out from a predominantly um, Jewish culture into the nations in the book of Acts, we find that, that that's not at play here. In, in fact, what you need to believe is what everyone has always believed. Believing the promises of God, and in this case, believing that Jesus died and rose again and brings life, and only Jesus himself brings life. But, but what was important to many Jewish people at this time, not all, but many, was lineage. What was your family tree? Whether you were born of a certain tribe determined your inheritance and your fellowship within a community. And to become a Jew involved certain practices in order to be able to get into that community. Um, we looked at this a couple weeks ago when we were studying Abraham, that there was a certain point at the Temple Mount, um, a certain balustrade, um, a, a little wall, that if you were a Gentile, you could come up to a certain point, but then you couldn't go past that. But what, did, what Christ did when he came and he reconciled humanity, he, he made salvation possible, is he essentially knocked down that wall. Because no longer do you go to the temple in Jerusalem to find relationship with God, you go directly to Jesus, the mediator of that relationship, or the one who goes between. And so what a lot of people would, were doing in, in the conversation Paul's having in Galatians is they would say, but what about Abraham? 
He was Jewish. God told him to be circumcised, and he was. God told him to do this, and he did. And what Paul argued, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, was that Abraham actually had faith in God's promises even before he did all these outworking things of the flesh. All right? He should have done those things. God told him to do those things. But in Genesis chapter 12, it says he believed God, and it was credit to him for righteousness. He believed God's promises because God was the one who was making them with him. And Paul says in Galatians 4, just the first couple verses there, he says that, uh, look with me please at verse 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And he says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, you are an heir through God. Now, adoption was very common uh, at this time. Not that everyone engaged in adopting someone, but in the Roman context, it was a common way, for example, that emperors would use to select the next heir to the throne. One, uh, one notable uh, adopted person is this man, a guy by the name of Julius Caesar. He arose to the throne because he was adopted by his then father, who was the emperor of Rome, and he wanted Julius to take on the rights and the privileges of being the, the next emperor. And so in that first century period of time, he's, he's emperor from the latter part of the, um, the first century uh, BC all the way t- into the, the next century, around the time of Jesus. He, he's a famous person who comes into what he can do because he's adopted. And when you are le- legally adopted, um, you become a child full on, with all the rights and privileges that exist there. And verse 6 tells us that the Holy Spirit is the witness to this adoption. And what would happen is people who experienced adoption, they would be, um, or people who would experience freedom from slavery, they would go around, and you see kind of like the square or the triangle hat on this guy, on the statue, that is called the pleus. And it was something that free people wore. It was something that people who were no longer under the old way that they were living would wear. They would take this on, and they would walk, and you would see them. You'd go, oh, hey, that's a free person. Oh, hey, they've been, they've been made something different than what they once were. A couple of years ago, some friends in our community group, they adopted a little girl. And we had the incredible privilege of going to the courthouse on that final day. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Many of you have adopted um, young people in our, in our congregation here. Um, we went to the courthouse on the date of the finalization, and what an incredible experience it was to see this young one loved, embraced, and accepted unconditionally into a family. No longer was she of this tribe. Now she's adopted, she's brought into, and she is every bit the child of her parents now as she ever would have been any other way. Because of that legal action, she became a blood relative with all the rights and the privileges, and she can call them mom and dad. That's what Paul's saying here. You've been adopted, Jew. You've been adopted, Gentile, into the family of God. And the reason you know you're adopted is because God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You can say, Father, because you are a child of God. Adoption means that 
you live in your mom and dad's house. You eat their food. You ask them for money when you need to go do something. It means that you're under their care. But adoption has a purpose. It's not just taking someone and you're like, okay, you're my child. A- adoption is to live in relationship with them. A- a- adoption is to engage in a meaningful part of what life is. And that's what God wants to do with us. Um, one of the things that we studied several weeks ago was Passover. In fact, about 48 days ago or so was Passover. Now, Passover marks redemption. It, it marks and remembers the time in which God brought his people, Israel, out of Egypt, and he brought them and redeemed them from that slavery. But what happens 50 days after Passover is what they call Pentecost. Um, Pentecost, or Shavuot is the Jewish name for the feast, it, it, it's a festival that celebrates giving. What does it mean to celebrate giving? Well, it celebrates that God gave his law, his Torah, to the Israelites so that they would know how to walk, so that they would have the right understanding of how do we live in relationship with the Holy God. Years later, in the book of Acts, um, on the feast of Pentecost, when the church is born, 50 days after Jesus' death, right around there, um, the Holy Spirit comes. And thousands of people come into relationship with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit comes upon people, and the Holy Spirit becomes this gift, this promise to followers of Jesus. And it's how, he, he is how we relate with God. What I want you to see is that Passover is really important, redemption is really important, but redemption always leads to something. It leads to walking with God leads to walking with God by faith in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in these first couple verses of our passage, verses 8 through 11, he he says, you're turning back to the weak and the bankrupt elemental forces. Now, some people understand this phrase, elemental forces. There's two primary ways that people understand it. Some understand it to mean those foundational learnings. Um, It can be translated in certain areas like your ABCs, those building blocks of faith. You've turned back to those things, Paul would be saying then, and you've lifted them above the revelation of Jesus died and resurrected for your sins. You've gone back to these things that you've learned as a young one, and instead of um, seeing how they point to the work of Jesus, you've made these things the gods. That's one way that that phrase is understood. And where that would have been lived out would have been in the temple complex. Because still, even at the time of Paul's writing, there are sacrifices that are still being taken place. There's community that is Jewish, and then there's Messianic Jewish believers in the Messiah, Jesus, happening even in Jerusalem at this time. And so... One thing that he could be saying here is that um, you've turned back to the way in which you've practiced your Jewish identity, but you've essentially removed Jesus from that mix. Because what matters is not salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. It's all of that plus all these other things that you do. Right? That's one way that scholars understand that. A- another way that it's understood are these powers that are in control over world events, is, is one way it's described. Um, w- which mean this, if Paul is writing to largely a pagan and a Gentile context, he would be referencing the things that they experienced growing up. Because it wasn't just Jewish people who observed dates and calendars and seasons. 
um, Gentiles did as well. And they did to the worship and praise of all these false gods. And so he wants them to move away from being enslaved to all these things that they think that they find their identity in. And he wants them to square their identity in being God's sons and God's daughters. Paul uses this phrase, elemental spirits, this way in Colossians 2, verse 8. He says it this way. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Same word that's used there. So, whichever way you take it, if you think it's this foundational learning that has maybe more of a Jewish nature, or if you take it to be something that's in a pagan or a Gentile context, the point is this, elemental forces are anything that takes our eyes off Christ, all right? They're, it's anything that we go back to and we, and we put in the place of what Jesus has done for us. Elemental forces are anything that takes our eyes off Christ. And what they do is we begin to look at all these things and it's like we were being put back in chains, Paul says. He says, you, you experience freedom by God's grace, why do you want to be enslaved? Why do you want to find your identity and your worth and your meaning in all these things you do? Because it's his intention that they would walk by the Spirit so that they would not carry out the desires of their old flesh, but that they would experience what God wants for them and experience it with God in the present moment. Here's the point. We can become enslaved to anything. Those people uh, wishing to make Gentile believers Jewish can become enslaved to religious practices by thinking that they're essential for justification before God. On the other hand, Jewish people can, can uphold practices that were given to them and, and make them essential for Gentiles when God never gave those commands to Gentiles. And, and they can even begin to worship that to say, God, you told us to keep the Sabbath, a Jewish person might say, and God said, yes, that is a, that's a feast, that's a festival I give you for the remainder of your days, is what the scripture says. But you can begin to worship a day more than worship the God who gave the day. Does that make sense? So it's possible to replace the work of Jesus in our life with good things that are not Jesus in our life. I mean, church gathering. You can quickly replace, well, I find my identity in that I belong to a small group, and I find my identity that I go to church, and I, I just have all these things. I'm a pretty good person because I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. But before God, all the things you do mean very little. Now, he cares about what you do, but it's not foundational to who you are. Paul says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. He doesn't say if you show up to church, you're a new creation. He says if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. Now, how you walk that out then becomes something where the Spirit of God then leads and guides you in what is right and true according to the Word of God. But the order is really important. Remember a couple weeks ago I had a train up here, right? When we put something other than Jesus as the engine of our train, everything gets messed up really, really quickly. It's God's desire that we would be God-centered and God-led first because if we aren't, we will become enslaved to anything and we'll make anything else the king in our life. 
we can become enslaved to anything. But the first step in not being enslaved to the things is remembering, my goodness, the beautiful gospel that Jesus died and rose again. And that when we have faith and we have trust in what God has done and God has done alone for us, we have been adopted as God's sons and his daughters. And sure, there's going to be days when we're going to mess up. And there's going to be days when we hurt our, our father's heart. But he still loves us. And he still wants us to be in relationship with him. Let me just ask you this. Are you enslaved to something today? Are you enslaved to something today? Does something occupy your heart and your mind more than Christ? Are you seeking to find your identity in something that God never intended you to find your identity in? It's so easy for us. It can be drugs. It can be inappropriate relationships. It can be workaholism. It can be what we want to attain and what we want to achieve. And we can have such a drive that the drive for more and more and more becomes something that clouds out the work of God in our life. Are you enslaved to something today? In fact, I encourage you, if you have a pen nearby, write it down. If, if the Holy Spirit has brought something to your mind, yeah, God, I, I think I'm giving this greater, greater worship in my life than you. Write it down so that you remember, okay, this is not my identity. My identity is in Christ. As I said earlier, as we were singing, the passage that, that comes to mind in James, he says, draw near to God. Well, he says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And he says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. When we turn away from the things that we have lifted up and made gods in our life and we turn to Christ, we have this great hope that God draws near to us in relationship. So if you find yourself enslaved to something today, write it down, turn away from it, and turn to God. Now, that's the first couple verses there. Paul does not want to waste his labor. He, 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 he cares about these believers. And so he says in verse 12, he says, I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You've not wronged me. You know that I previously preached the gospel to you because of a physical illness. Now, now Paul references here a physical condition that his hearers, that the recipients of this letter would have known about. Here's a map of some of Paul's journeys in this first missionary journey, which I think is, I, I think is the best case for when Paul is writing this letter. Uh, we talked about that weeks ago. We won't go down that path again. Um, as he comes through, he travels up to Perga and Pisidia and Antioch. He comes over to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Something interesting happens in Lystra in Acts chapter 14. Um, in Acts chapter 14, he's stoned. He's stoned. He's left for dead. And they go away, and Paul gets up, and he goes on his merry way. Um, but, but when you're stoned, the, the intention is to kill someone with that. And this could be the physical ailment that he is referencing here. Because he says, you didn't despise me, in verse 14, or reject me through my physical condition, though my physical condition was a trial for, trial for you. All right? Paul was not a strapping young man with tons of muscles and a great physique. He was battered, he was broken, and he was weary. And it's in that state that he comes with nothing of his own to give except the message of Jesus. And he comes to these 
people in southern Galatia, and he shares the message of the gospel with them, and they trusted Christ. He says, what happened to the sense of being blessed you had? Verse 15, I testify to you, if possible, you, had, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, people are talking about Paul who've come to these believers and they say, that's not really the truth. And Paul says, it's absolutely the truth. I didn't come to you trying to peddle something. I didn't come tr to you trying to make an extra buck on the side. He's not, a, he's not a televangelist preacher who's going around trying to bolster his own bank account. He's someone who's been redeemed by the goodness and the grace of God who wants everyone he meets to know, whether they're Jew or whether they're Gentile. He wants them to experience a vital relationship with Jesus. And these Galatian believers, in verses 15 and following, They've been hypnotized. They, they've, been, had their, they've had their eyes turned towards another gospel. And Paul reminds them of their former experiences together. The gospel is not based upon just what looks good. It's based upon Christ crucified and raised to life. End of story. And, and Paul actually describes his, his love and his affection for them with very poignant words. Um, verse 19 says, My children... My children, I'm again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. All right? He's likening his passion for these followers of Jesus in Galatia to a, to a lady who's going through childbirth, the anguish and the... He's a bold man, let me just say, to, to compare anything to childbirth. My, my goodness, he's, he's, he's bold or crazy. Um, but, but he says, I'm suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. He has such a passion for these followers of Jesus, whom he loves, to grow up in Christ. He doesn't want them to remain the same. He doesn't want them to turn back to the old ways of their living. He wants them to continue to experience this relationship that he has shared with them with Christ. Paul's suffering these labor, these labor pains. And some of you may know that feeling today. Maybe you have a, a son or a daughter um, who, who was a follower of Jesus and has seemingly turned their back on Christ. Perhaps you have a son or a daughter who's, who's never accepted the Lord Jesus or, or a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or a coworker, and you just long them, you long to see them engage in a saving relationship with Jesus because you know that's where joy and peace and wholeness are found. Let me, let me encourage you today if you have people in your life who are far from God, pray for them. Pray for them. There's going to have to be a work that even though Paul, for example, he's, he's, so, um, he's so passionate, he wants to see Christ formed in them, there's a work that he's going to encourage and all this stuff, but there's a work that the Spirit has to do in their life. Pray for your kids. Pray for your spouses. Pray pray for your moms and your dads, that they would follow Jesus. Let that be such a passion of your life that like labor pains, you would say, God, I want them to come to know Jesus and then be faithful to whatever opportunities God gives you to share Christ. Keep praying. Pray that Christ reveals himself to them. Pray for spiritual awakening. Don't compromise the truth of God's word for peace, but in the midst of even differences, seek to love them and pray that the Holy Spirit will be the convictor of sin, and he will bring a knowledge of his word. Um, sometimes in the church, we like to force our morality on others, 
But right living always follows a right relationship with God. The first and most important thing is that we share the message of Christ and we pray for people who are far from God. And, and I love it. I don't know if you've ever seen a new believer walked with someone who's just accepted Christ. They're learning all these new things like, oh, I didn't know that there was like several books in this Bible. And what does it mean when Jesus says this? And who is this Old Testament figure and why does he matter? It, it's so incredibly exciting to see followers of Jesus engage in God's word and engage in the truth of God. Engage with them but keep praying. Paul has this deep passion for these people. Now, Paul is then going to go from his, talking about his concern for the Galatians and talking about how they shouldn't live according to what they're being told by these false preachers of the gospel. And then he's going to go, and he's going to, um, in many ways, in some ways, confuse the whole lot because he's going to share a story. He actually calls it an allegory. In verse, um, where is it? Uh, verse 24, my text says, these things are illustrations. Uh, the word there is also the word that means allegory. So he's going to go using a, another Old Testament figure, um, namely Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar, to talk about um, these, the difference between these two covenants. I'll walk you through this really briefly. Um, we could spend a little bit of time on here. But given our time, we won't spend that much time on here. Um, the Galatians, as I have said, are being influenced to find their spiritual identity in keeping the commandments of the Torah instead of through faith in the Messiah, Jesus, death, and resurrection. And in fact, they're being told you have to become Jewish in order to be accepted by God. For you to become a part of the family, you've got to become fully Jewish. You can't do it any other way, is what they're being told by people. And as he has before, he uses Abraham as an example. Now, Abraham, when God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is 75 years old. And he says, Abraham, here's what I want to do. I want to give you land. I want to give you people. I want to give you a blessing. In fact, I want to bless all the nations of the earth through you. And Abraham believes in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. We have different, different components of this promise. Um, and Abraham's wife is Sarah. Now, as time goes on, um, several years go on, God promised this land, and he's kind of over in this region of the world now. But he also promised a nation, and the problem is, is Abraham and his wife Sarah don't have any kids, and Abraham is 75, year old, is 75 years old and rising, and Sarah is 65 years old and rising. And it's not until Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah is 90 years old, that they have Isaac, the child of the promise. In that intervening 25 years, they sought a couple different ways to protect their own interests. And one of the ways that they did this is, is Sarah says, I'm paraphrasing here, um, Sarah says, maybe it's through someone else that we will have an heir. So she essentially gives Abraham a surrogate wife, her servant, Hagar, and, and she says, take Hagar to be your wife. You can have an heir through Hagar. And that was never God's intention, because God is all about doing the impossible many times when we want to do what we think makes sense and is right in our own eyes. So you have this in verses 22 and 23. You've got Hagar, who is the slave or the servant of Sarah, and she has Ishmael. So Abraham has the son Ishmael. And Sarah and Abraham are trying to fulfill God's promise in their own power. And it's contrasted with then Sarah, who, who is um, 
gives birth to Isaac when she's 90 years old. And this, Paul describes, is the, the child of the promise or the child of the free woman. Isaac is born as, as a result of God's supernaturally fulfilled promise. Okay, so he goes from talking about Sarah and Hagar and these two different things to talking about then a couple of different covenants. In verse 25, sorry, 24, he talks about, now these things are illustrations. For these women, they represent two covenants. So you're going, okay, we've got the women with their kids. Then we've got the covenants that they represent on top of it. And he says one of these covenants is from Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is where God gave the Torah. God gave the law. The, the, the how, here's how, Israel, you are to walk after me. Here's how we are to engage in relationship with one another. He gave that on Mount Sinai. So he's, he's drawing that comparison there. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. You're going, what is going on here? But then in verse 26, it says, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our home. Let me simplify it for you. What happens um, at the time where Israel comes into the land, um, God says, I want you to gather at a certain place here with Mount Gerizim on one side and Mount Ebal on the other. And they're given this words of the law, you know, thou shalt not, all, uh, you know, it starts with, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of your slavery. You shall not have any other gods but me. They come in, they're supposed to read this law and then they go back and forth. They gather six tribes on one side in this bowl. They gather six tribes on the other side in this bowl and the ark and Joshua and the elders are all in the center. And what they're doing is they're rehearsing, here's how we live in covenant with God. Here's what God has said. Here's what we are to do. This is a different kind of covenant than what Abraham had at the very beginning. And that's the difference that Paul is essentially drawing here. There's a Sinai covenant by which Israel willingly enters in, and there's blessings when they follow God's teaching, and there's cursings when they don't. In fact, the reason Israel is exiled out of the land is because they don't keep the promises. But it doesn't change the promise given to Abraham. And that's what Paul is going to be driving to. Because there's the Sinai covenant where you've engaged in it, Israel, and you've failed to keep it. But then there's this other promise that even predates the Sinai covenant that I gave to your forefather, Abraham. And that one, they didn't gather around and say, we will hear, we will do. They didn't sign uh, next to God's name and say, yep, this contract is one that we now uh, are agreeing to, and now that we have to give our own um, stuff to, to, to make happen. When, when God meets Israel, there's this covenant, and it's a contract of sorts. It's kind of like if you're signing a home loan, you know, you, you sign your name on there, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be paying for the next however many installments. The difference between the Sinai covenant, let me put it this way, uh, the difference between the Sinai covenant and the covenant that God makes with Abraham is that when he comes to Abraham and he says, I want to make you a great nation. I want to give you a people. I want to give you a land and I want you to be a blessing to all the nations. What he does is he puts Abraham to sleep and God signs both parts of the covenant. God says, it's going to be through me and through me alone that you're going to experience redemption. It's going to be through me and me alone that you're going to experience um, what I want to give you. 
And this is essentially what they're arguing over because there's people who are persecuting the Gentile followers of Jesus saying, you have to come into this covenant and you have to obey to this and you have to agree to this. And God has said, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Salvation comes through God's redemptive initiative in both Jew and Gentile, which is why he calls them his sons. All right? The difference between someone who goes to sign a contract and a son or a daughter is that when your parents pass away, what often happens is that those assets then, the, the son or the daughter comes in and they care for those assets as the parents would wish. Many times what happens is the, the parents say, here, we're giving this to you, to you, to you. You become an inheritor. You become someone who, who doesn't work or earn to achieve something. Rather, you become someone who's in relationship with someone and you receive because of their goodness because of their generosity. The, the point of all of this is this. Look down with me, please, at verse 28. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, you are children of the promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the spirit, so also now. What, what happened is after Isaac was born, um, Ishmael began to persecute Isaac. And as a result, um, Sarah said, I want you to take Ishmael and I want you to send him away because I don't want him to inherit what Isaac is supposed to inherit. Abraham struggles with that. God says, no, go ahead and do that. What God ended up doing is he ended up making Ishmael a great nation. He ended up making Isaac a great nation. But Paul's point here, using a story from long, long ago, was this. Sometimes in our life, um, sometimes in our life, we bind ourselves to certain things that are not Jesus. We live according to the different covenants and contracts that we have. And what God wants to establish in us is that there is no way through legalistic standards or any other way that we can gain status before God. Because justification before God does not come by the law. It comes by grace through faith. Not to steal Mark's thunder next week, but in verse 4 of chapter 5, he says this, You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ and you have fallen from grace. He wants them to know they're not justified by what they do. They're not justified by engaging in an old practice that was given to a people at a time for a reason. In fact, the Jewish people are not justified by that either. They're justified by God's gracious redemptive initiative like they were in the Passover. When God takes them out of Egypt through no goodness of their own and redeems them so that he can be in relationship with them. Paul sees himself with these Gentile believers. He doesn't see himself as a Gentile, but he sees them with them because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. They are part of a true promise that comes by faith in the Messiah Jesus. And they're to cast out the sons of the slave woman because there's two different messages going on. The one message is you have to do all these things in order to be made right with God. And Paul's message is there's no way you can be made right with God except for through Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, how do we begin to apply this? Well, we've had a couple of, of those moments already in just remembering what are we enslaved to? What are the things that we find our identity in rather than Christ? Who should we be praying for who are people 
nearby in our life who are far from God. Another way we can apply this is just remembering this. Legalism does not reflect the gospel. It may look good on the outside, but relationship with God only comes through God's redemptive work. Our standing before God is never based upon our own actions. It's based upon, as Mark said earlier, when we were helpless and we were dead in our transgressions and sin, Christ died for us. End of story. When we trust in God's grace, we find life in his name. Our identity comes alone from Christ. Now, Paul is going to shift in the next couple of weeks here, and he's essentially going to say this. You're free. You're free. But freedom doesn't mean what we sometimes think it does in the Western world. Paul says you are free to worship God. And and you're free to walk in the Spirit. In fact, he's going to say it this way. you're, You're free so that you will walk by the Spirit and not carry out your own old desires. When we look at freedom, we're like, I have nothing stopping me from doing this, this, and this. When we come into relationship with Jesus, the thing that stops us is that God changes our hearts to care more about the things he cares about than the things that we care about. That's the work that God wants to do in your life and in mine. As we go into our week, there's many opportunities we have to serve ourselves. In fact, if we look out at our world, what we tend to see is, oh, they're trying to game it for this, and they're trying to get their objective over here, and they're trying, everyone's trying to get their own space and trying to protect themselves. The way of Jesus is much different than that. The way of Jesus says, how do I love my brother and my sister? How do I love my neighbor? Even if they're difficult to love. What should a believer's response be to God's work in our life? Simply that we ask God for, God, what would you want me to do next? How can I love you more today? God, teach me your will so that I might walk in it. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, there are so many ways in my life where I pursue my own ends. And I pursue, my, I pursue my own objectives rather than Christ's. Perhaps that's the same for my brothers and my sisters here. And God, right now, I just want to say, uh, I'm sorry for that. We are sorry for that, God. For seeking to be made right in any other way other than Jesus. We're sorry for seeking to find our identity and our worth and what we do instead of who we are. God, we're, we're sorry for pursuing the passions of our own hearts, which sometimes come in conflict with the passion of your heart. As the songwriter once said, God, give us one pure and holy passion. Give us one magnificent obsession. Give us one glorious ambition for our life this week to know and to follow hard after you and to grow as your disciple in the truth of your word. Thank you, God, for meeting us here. Give us grace for what we have before us as we seek to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. 
If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.